Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I mean, obviously, you know that the draft lottery, the lower you go, and you and I have both been on the same page. The organization could have done a few different things in all of this, but uh, and I'm sure we'll get a chance in the next hour to lament all of that as we welcome in our listeners to the live room. Uh, 11th, which is exactly where they were slated to pick based on their point totals coming out of the regular season. So they didn't move up, they didn't move down, they didn't there really wasn't a lot of movement all the way through except for the Chicago Blackhawks who get the number one overall pick. But uh, from a Canuck perspective, I, you know, I know there are people that were, you know, rubbing their lucky rabbit's foot and putting on their Canuck toots and jerseys and whatever with hopes that just maybe, just maybe, maybe rubbing Patrick Alvine's bald head or something like that. I don't know. Uh, was it rigged? Buddy of mine just texted in, texted me and said, it's rigged. Come on. I'm, I've been in the room. I've been in the room. I'm like one of the, uh, I, there can't be a lot of reporters who've actually seen the drawing. Like I've been in the room. I'm telling you, it's it's legit. I oh, I'm sure. No, and you know I wouldn't protect the NHL for no reason. I know, but you know it would have to be legit, right? Like if that ever got out that it wasn't legit, uh, the teams well, the, like. I've I mean, told the story before, but the year I went was 2018. 2018, right? So the Canucks yeah. picked um, Quinn Hughes that year. So they lost the draft lottery that year. And, like, Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini was also in the room to observe the drawing. And I don't think it's a big question as to why. He wanted to make sure. Like, owners <laughs> are invited. Yeah, for sure. But, but so, that just tells you, right? Like, if it was rigged, the owners would be in on it. And if they're, if they're not in on it and it ever got out, uh, that would be, be for Gary and Bill and all of it. Like, there's just there's no way. So no way. Uh, it wasn't rigged. Extra 11. Uh, they, like, what was, what was Francesco's reaction that year when he came in to watch? What was his reaction? No, I mean, the Canucks are always disappointed. The other, the other good reaction I had was the uh, 2019 draft lottery. I was also there. And so, you know what? Sorry, maybe I was there 2017 and 2019. Because I don't think I went in 2018 now that I think about it. The Panthers, we drafted uh, Grigory Denisenko that year, and we, like, missed the playoffs on the last day of the season. So we probably didn't have good enough lottery odds for me to justify the expense of, like, uh, <laughs> using my travel budget to go spend a weekend in Toronto. Um, so, because why would you want to spend a weekend in Toronto? Well, I, lo- I mean, I love Toronto. Um, well, there had to be a Blue Jay game. Well, I have, I have friends and family there, and I was living in Florida, so it was always nice. All right, all right, all right. Anyway, the... Um, the fact is, is that, uh, so the, the funnier reaction, though, was Jim Benning in 2019, which was the Hughes draft. And, of course, that's the year the Devils moved up with, with worse lottery odds, or similar lottery odds, anyway, to the Canucks. And the Rangers also moved up from, like, similar lottery odds to the Canucks, right? And um, I just remember Jim Benning coming and sitting beside me, and he was just like, oh, man, 
<laughs> I hate this event. <laughs> and I, we just shared a laugh at the moment because, um, of course, I was wise to the, the lengthy and sordid history of Vancouver Canucks lottery luck. Now, today's not a bad outcome for Vancouver, right? I mean, there was a 13 yeah, they didn't lose a spot they which they've back to so 12, often. which they've done so often. In fact, I think they've yeah. lost more slots at the NHL draft lottery than any other team uh, since it That's moved correct. to the multi-draw format. Now, yeah. that said, there's a spiritual level of, like, ick attached to the headliner of a golden generation of Vancouver uh, hockey prospects, right? Like, Connor Bedard is the headliner of a group of young players out of our city right now, five of whom are likely to go in the first round in Nashville in June, right? Bedard's the headliner. He's the best prospect to ever come out of Western Canada. He's from our city. He is a rabid Vancouver Canucks fan, and he's an evolutionary sniper. He's got a shot with a voice unlike anything we've ever seen. And every time he finds Twine at home, that irksome, unvaried, repetitive Fratelli's song, Chelsea Dagger, will play. And there's something that I can't get over. I hate it. It, I, it upsets me. So that's the only drawback here, right? Like the Blackhawks winning the draft lottery kind of sucks because Bedard wearing Blackhawks red. Oh, I find that a little appalling. Yeah, see, for me, I, I don't. Like, I love the city of Chicago. I spent a lot of time covering those teams, especially in 2009, 2010. Like, you know, I, like I've covered a lot of their cups. Love Jonathan Taves as a guy. You know, I mean, look, I even like Duncan Keith. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Patrick Kane, Patrick Sharp was a prince. Like, there were a lot of guys in that organization. And look, I understand what's happened since, right, from those above and, and just how kind of unseemly uh, it all goes as it relates to Chicago. But as a city, it's fantastic. Can't stand the Chelsea Dagger song. Um, so I'm not as personally offended as others, uh, you know, for me, it, like turn me off when it comes to Edmonton and Toronto, but other than that, like I, I you know, and, and even Boston, but Chicago would be a, you know, not even a fourth on the, on the list of cities and franchises. I wouldn't like seeing have success. So uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as offended as others, but yeah, when that song plays, look, it's not going to play when he tinkles twine in Vancouver because they're not going to play that song for them. But, um, you know, nonetheless, yeah, it's going to be disappointing, but look, all that said, Drancer. We knew this team was never going to have the best odds to win, right? No. It was just a case of, you know, could you get near it? And we never even thought they would get into the top five, right? And and really, none of the teams that were in those windows, right, from six through eleven, where the Canucks picked, none of them were, no, were, were teams that bumped up, right? So you can't look no. at this and lament Bedard, right? Like you can certainly lament other spots, yeah, you up can the food lament- chain on the draft. But yeah, you can't you can't lament Fantilli Fantilli or sorry ah sorry Fantilli yeah um, yeah Fantilli you just said you just said uh, with the, the song with the Italian so you got yeah the Fratellis, halfway between Fantilli yeah, yeah I got caught halfway between yeah yeah and Adam Fantilli so you can't lament those two so I I don't know you know I felt like asking Patrick Alvin in the in the presser like any regrets but I didn't just because of just how big that gap was right like they would have had to have been third from last, and there was a big gap after five that I don't think even if the Canucks would have done anything differently, that they could have got into that top five. You know, if they would have played Demko a little bit less, if they would have played Pedersen and Hughes a little bit less, you know, maybe the Canucks finish with the seventh best lottery odds, right? Like that kind of was the yeah. best case scenario. Well, really. I, 
I asked about that at the end of season presser, the way that they'd handled the end of the season. And so I didn't feel the need to relitigate it tonight. Like I wanted to hear from Patrick about the certainty of the draft process and get some color for a like Canucks react to the draft lottery results column that I'll quickly scribble out tonight before I post some scouts polls tomorrow on who the Canucks should hope is available at 11. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the process is still concerning, right? Like the underlying process of how the Canucks got here remains a concern. And the real cost always of going on the winning terror that they did and, you know, playing themselves well clear of Philadelphia and then in a nightmare scenario, passing the Capitals, the Blues, and the Red Wings all on the last day of the season. Like, it didn't come to bear in that none of those teams moved up, but those teams are drafting 8, 9, 10, right? And the Canucks are drafting 11. And, and there's a real cost to that, right? And, and that cost is likely to be Zach Benson, David Reinbacher, the best RD in the draft, um, Dalibor Dvorsky, uh, maybe Ryan Leonard. Like, you know, there are better prospects than Vancouver will be able to select at 11, and Vancouver's still going to get their top organizational prospect. The moment they select that guy at 11, he's going to be Vancouver's best prospect and probably their best prospect in a while. Like, this is a prospect who is going to be, unless they really go off the board or trade the pick, or trade down, um, the best prospect that the organization has had since Quinn Hughes, right? Like, this is a, a big deal for the team, and they're going to have to get it right. Like, it's very, very much important that they land a, a real winner here and a guy who trends well. Um, but, you know, there is a cost to the win streak that they went on. Now, here's the other thing that I think is worth noting, right? Like, Chicago went into this with, what, the third best odds, 11 and a half? Um, at the end of the day, the Chicago Blackhawks tanked hardest, right? Like Columbus signed Gaudreau, things went off the rails. They didn't really work to correct it. They waited till after the season to fire their coach. Anaheim, same thing. They brought in Klingberg. They traded for Kulikov. They were half pregnant in terms of, of icing a young team and uh, maybe steering into the skid. But once the skid happened, both teams were happy to lie in their bed and maximize their draft lottery odds. The Chicago Blackhawks, however, <laughs> they went out and dismantled their team, right? They've carved out millions in cap flexibility. Everything that wasn't hammered down must go, right? Brandon Hagel, it really started at the deadline last year with Brandon Hagel, but Patrick Kane went, Lafferty, McCabe. They traded Alex Dabrinkit, who's only 25, right? I mean, they were all in on icing a roster that no one, no one, would suggest his NHL caliber. Like I saw my colleague Mark Lazarus tweet out a thing that was like, first line, right? Reichel, Bedard, and question mark. And it's like, look, I like Lucas Reichel. <laughs> but Lucas Reichel is not a first liner on the next great Chicago Blackhawks team. Like until they landed Bedard, they didn't have a single player who was, who's probably going to be on that team the next time they make the playoffs. You know, maybe Seth Jones, maybe. And they got rewarded for it. Like, they were the team that tanked with the most discipline. I, I hate how they conducted themselves in the past era. I hated Rocky Wirtz's defensiveness at a season ticket holder event a season and a half ago, or 18 months ago. Um, you know, like, it couldn't happen to a worse organization. But with new leadership in tow, including, you know, people from outside hockey, Kyle Davidson, Brian Campbell, they 
pursued the tank job, the best draft lottery odds they could possibly get with more discipline and focus than anybody else by a lot. And well, was, and it was just, it was just a two year tank, right? Like what did they pick seventh last year? No, I, I mean, they, they picked seventh because they traded in. They traded the Debrinket for that pick. Like, this oh, is a one-year tank. You. They're only, yeah, they're only a year you. removed from trading the pick that a lot of us thought could be because they made the Seth Jones trade. And if they'd won the draft lottery last year, they would have lost this pick in the deal. So, like, they were a lottery bounce away from not owning this pick. Columbus almost had this pick. That's how, that's how hosed they were by Stan Bowman. And it's preposterous that anyone's interviewing the guy who did the Seth Jones trade for a job. Like, forget all the, <laughs> forget all the moral reasons why his return to the NHL would be repugnant. He almost dealt this pick. It's only a bounce from the lottery balls last year that saved this pick for Chicago. And so wow. but they, they made an all-in yeah, trade. That's a great point. Yeah. They made an all-in trade two summers ago. Two summers. They made like one of the most reckless deals I've ever seen. It blew up in their faces immediately. And over, over the course of 18 months, they've executed this tank job and now they've landed the best prospect, like a once in a decade quality prospect. And he happens to be from North Vancouver. So as, as much as I hate to see Bedard go to Chicago, and I do, um, you've got to commend like, let it never be said that tanking that teams don't tank, and let it never be said that tanking doesn't work. Chicago, they nailed it. Yeah, you're right. So, like, there's there's no way around it, right? Because you're right. I mean, I've, I've kind of been looking at this as a two-year tank job, but when you look at how they acquired that pick, this has worked for them. And you know, like, say what you want. And I, I'm getting a lot in the comments about everything that happened revolving uh, Kyle Beach and um, you know, unforgivable stuff from the top down, right? Uh, so you don't want to see him get rewarded. Um, but uh, in terms of their methodology for how they executed, right, and not that every year there's not a Connor Bedard available, right? And when people look at look at this player, and it's going to hurt Vancouver more because he's from here, but, you know, reading everything that I've read on him, and I mean, I've watched what I've watched, but player or analysts with a sharper eye than I have him above Austin Matthews. In terms of his ability to score goals, like oh, just, no question, it, Sorry, right? No and like question. he, he's not going to be able to turn a franchise around like a Connor McDavid, right? Like he's not as can't miss as Connor McDavid. But you tell me he's above Austin Matthews, and I'm listening. Like I'm picking up that phone call, and if ever there was a guy to do this for, this was the guy, right? So Chicago certainly got it right from that perspective. There's no doubt, and um, you're right. I mean, the other teams, you look at Columbus and. When they, when they acquired Johnny Gaudreau, you didn't think they were coming into this season a tank, especially after what they did a year ago. It, it really, uh, they were the one team. You know, you thought Montreal had a shot at it as well, right, based on what they did with that roster. But, you know, even Anaheim, you kind of thought maybe had a shot based on what they were doing with their roster coming into the year. But in terms of pure discipline and in just unabashed form, we're doing this. We're not going to say it. But everything we do is going to say it. They did it. They executed, and, and and they won. Yep, good for them. And now the Canucks are left with the eleventh pick in the draft. Um, take me through some of the names. You certainly know them better than I. And I know on our regular version of the Vancast with Harm and I, uh, we are going to get um, uh, some analysts on. I think we've got to call in Shane Malloy and a couple of others. So we do want to get into some of these players. 
uh, on Wednesday that, that the Canucks could potentially be picking from. But one of the things Alvin was asked about tonight was the tiers. Take me through where the tiers lie, because there's obviously one with a bullet, and then after that, where it kind of falls. And, you know, Mitchkov is going to be a little bit of a wild card because he signed in the KHL through 2026, and that's going to scare some teams off. So in terms of true talent, he might be a top three guy, certainly a top five guy, but he could slip into that area where the Canucks might still have a shot at him. Sorry, sorry. I'm. Who was that? The Russian player. Mitchkov? Yeah. Yeah, and that's an interesting possibility. I mean, I think that possibility kind of went out the window when the Washington Capitals dropped below the Canucks. Like, if there's one team that's going to feel super comfortable, or, or at least relatively comfortable, given all the red flags around Mitchkov at the moment, including a very unusual contract status that will keep him in Russia through at least 2026, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in addition to other... Uh, bits of uncertainty that surround him from the perspective of NHL scouts and managers. Um, You know, the Capitals have Ovechkin, right? Like the Capitals have a long history uh, drafting and bringing over Russian-born players, including some who were very difficult to get over, like like Kuznetsov. And they've gambled previously on like high upside Russian players with um, you know, uncertainty surrounding them, including uh, Mirachenko, who they drafted last year, uh, who was recovering from cancer. So, um, you know, Mitchkov, I-, I think, doesn't go past the Capitals. That would be my strong supposition. Although, who knows, right? Uh, it's such a loaded draft class. And there are so many guys who have, like, really good upside or really good prospects would have gone first overall last year with a bullet, like consensus pole-to-pole caliber prospects um, who are going to still be available at like eight or nine that maybe uh, the Washington Capitals prefer given Alex Ovechkin's timeline, right? And and what they want to achieve here. Maybe they prefer a guy who's a little closer to being NHL ready like Colby Barlow, who if you look him up and watch his highlights, like look at the beard and stuff, he already he, he's already like, he's 18 going on 29. <laughs> as far as appearance <laughs> and the maturity in his game. And again, like would have been without question number one last year. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I think the the sort of names to know, like, first of all, the name to know is David Reinbacher. Like Reinbacher's um, listed at 6'3", 190 pound, right-handed defenseman, uh, Austrian, plays in the Swiss League at the moment, produced a ton of offense. Now, a lot of that offense was secondary offense. I don't know that he's like a really high-end offensive driver. Uh, He certainly wasn't against his own age group at the World Championships. Um, I don't know that he really warrants in terms of value and and what he is as a prospect. Like, he's not a physical guy despite his listed height. And I suspect he might list at 6'1 or 6'2 once the combine in Buffalo rolls around in a couple of weeks. But he's a righty. He's relatively big. He's a good skater. Um, He's not going to run a power play. And he's not going to run anyone through a wall. And that makes me a little nervous in terms of a team taking him with a a top 10 or fringes of the top 10 selection. I I just don't know that he's that caliber uh, of prospect. Um, But I I do believe that the Canucks would, all things being equal, prefer to take a defenseman. So he's sort of the the first big name to know. Um, then Then there's sort of the centerman. And there's a lot of them, right? Like there's some kids in the Western League, uh, Danielson, 
and, and Braden Yeager, who's who's a super high end prospect, but had a really inconsistent year uh, for Red Deer. Um, or no, Moose Jaw, excuse me, is the Warriors. And uh, and then there's you know Oliver Moore, Gabe Perot, the U.S. National Development Team kids. And there's the hope that one of the somewhat undersized but super dynamic, highly competitive wingers, whether it's Zach Benson or Ryan Leonard, get overlooked because of their height and fall to 11. For me, like if, if you're staring at a draft board and it's Benson or Leonard or Reinbacher, there's no question in my mind that you take one of Leonard or Benson or should, uh, just based on what they could be, which is like all-star scoring wingers who also are really high-end two-way players as opposed to a guy who, to me, sort of looks like more of a, a, a you know, two-way second-pair defenseman, even if he hits. Uh, the last name to be aware of would be, for me anyway, uh, Dmitry Simishev, six-foot-four, 200-plus pound Russian defenseman. Not a lot of live viewings on him because Russia obviously didn't participate in international tournaments. Uh, so a lot of the cross-checking scouts won't have seen him live could fall a little bit. I think he's the sort of guy who could really be worth like more so than Reinbacher even uh, an 11th overall pick and probably would be being talked about more widely in that range if he had any other type of passport. Yeah. And, you know, going through the list of names that certainly um, center is where there's the most depth. Do you think the Canucks are going to get a player? And I think Wags asked this, of, of Patrick, given how deep this class is, do you think at 11 the Canucks could still potentially draft a player who could be in their lineup right away? Uh, the Canucks? Yeah. The, yeah. No, I don't think so. I don't think there's anyone available at 11 who's a next-year player. I mean, the only guy the only guy who could maybe be there, and I don't think he would be, um, like, well, there's two, would be Dvorsky. And, and Barlow, like Dvorsky and Barlow, we're talking about guys, you know, 6'1", 190 pounds plus. So I think if you get either of them, you're kind of looking at a guy who physically could hold up in the NHL just in terms of their size and, and the relative maturity of their games. But like, you know, Leonard, you're, you're looking at like a 5'10 guy, 170 pounds. Benson, you're looking at a 5'9", 5'10 guy, 160 pounds. Like, I don't think... You're going to put them in the NHL year one. Um, but but Barlow, Dvorsky, if they fell, and I don't think either will, and I want to be clear about that, I think both are lock top 10 picks. Uh, but if either of them fell, maybe. I could see it. So we're going to take uh, – we, we are going to go till about the bottom of the hour here. We're going to get to your calls if you want to join us on the live room – or sorry, on the stage, I should say. This, of course, is the live room. So uh, just raise your hand in the stage queue, and we will get to you sometime here over the next 15 – to 20 minutes, given the fact the Canucks made the Ronick trade, so they're losing one of their two first-round picks. They had the additional first-round pick, which is 17th overall from the Islanders. That's now being moved to Detroit. Do you think there's any chance? Like, I don't see a scenario where they trade out. You know, do they trade down because they don't have enough picks in this draft and try to acquire a second along the way? But, like, do you see them moving this pick? I think they're going to wind up picking at 11th. And this guy's, whoever they pick, as you said, right off the top, is automatically going to be the number one prospect in their organization. I think they will um, probably keep the pick, but 
it really can't be understated just how difficult this offseason is going to be to navigate from a Canucks perspective. Like, they have really planted a flag in the ground in terms of what they want to achieve. Like, I don't care what they say. When you trade a first and a second round pick ahead of a deadline in which you're a bottom seven team by point percentage for a right-handed defenseman whose deal expires after next season, you're in to make the playoffs next season. Like, I don't care what you say. You've, you've telegraphed that. Um, their intention is to be a playoff team next year and, and a playoff team with the potential to make some noise. And you're not going to do that. You're not going to even pretend that that's a reasonable ambition with Niels Amon and Sheldon Drys as your bottom six centers. And no, I but at the players. same time, they can't – look, if they trade the pick for a legitimate, you know, whatever, second line – or sorry – uh, top four defenseman or, or for a center or whatever you say, they can't afford that player. Like they can't afford no, no, to trade the to pick be, to get the player they want unless they, unless they are able to move other money. You both, yeah, well, it would have to be a trade in which you both move out money and um, get a player. I mean, it would be a really complicated deal. But I'm just saying you have like two assets that I think would be a, a super intriguing to teams thinking about taking on um, thinking about taking on one of Vancouver's inefficient salaries, right? Like, I think Besser, I mean, for me, Besser and Garland, given the term left on their, given the term left on their deals and another flat cap offseason, like, I think both of those guys probably need to be sweetened to be moved. Or you have to take back similarly bad money and, and maybe even sweeten it there too because you're looking for a center or defenseman and those guys are wingers and the premium positions come with a surcharge. Uh, even Myers might need to be sweetened, especially if the club's intent on moving that deal prior to paying that $5 million bonus. Like if you're, if you're hoping to move Myers in time to benefit from that off season sort of cap reallocation, like there might be, there might need to be a sweetener involved. And so you're talking about assets that teams might take bad money. Um, you know, that might incentivize teams to take bad, bad money. Like I think you're talking pod Colson, Hoaglander and the first round pick. And I wonder if those will be tempting. Like, I do. I wonder if those will be tempting. Now, there's more realistic options. I could see the team maybe rounding into the conclusion that they have to move a Beauvillier or a JT Miller or a player they might, in normal circumstances, prefer not to trade in order to free up the money they need to complete their roster. Um, you know, that's probably somewhat more likely to me than them trading the first, but uh, as they go through their options, as they work through their process this offseason, like, make no mistake, their options are probably going to be at a level where trading that first becomes awful tempting. Uh, you want to get to some calls? You want to get to some listeners? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, we, All right only we, have one, we only have one hand raised at the moment, but if you want to ask a question, uh, either comment in the um, either comment in the body of the chat and we'll get to it or you can raise your hand and come in the queue and we will invite you on stage now if you're having issues with sound if it sounds quiet to you try putting headphones in that usually solves the issue we should really make a habit of saying that every 10 minutes when we do these because we get a lot of people uh, like our good friend harrison who um are uh you know wondering how to how to figure it out um but headphones that's the answer uh, Sean V. I'm going to invite Sean V up to the stage. Hopefully we have no issues there, and hopefully he's got headphones. Sean, do you got us? Sean, can you hear us? 
looks like he's on the stage, so I'm going to give it a minute. Sometimes it clicks in a little late, eh, Farhan? Yeah, we've been having that the last few live rooms, there's no doubt. But, um, you know, it's funny because for the, for the Canucks one... Can hear your echo. Oh, we got him? Okay. Yeah, we've got can Sean. Sean, go ahead. go ahead. You can hear we me? We can hear you. Yep. Okay, perfect. Uh, before I go full-on Jason Bruff here, uh, <laughs> I love your guys' work. Like, uh, Drance, I, I've loved your work forever. For um, hand yours too. Um, Thank you. Thank out you. of all the teams to win, like Chicago, is is the least deserving. We all know what has happened. Um, I feel like the NHL should have punished them with like not winning a lottery f- for the next five years and put them at thirty second. Um, Drant, you you said it kind of sucks for us that Chicago won. I mean, it it really fucking sucks. Uh, no fan of like the other 31 teams wanted them to win. I think it's a bad look for the NHL. And the only thing I can hope for is that Bedard pulls a Lindros and uh, just requests to come to the Canucks. Uh, that's pretty much it. Um, the Canucks will probably trade their first round pick and there will be no Thomas Strand's erotica. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Sean, thank you so much for the call. I actually, I want to address this. I want to address this really quickly, okay? I want to address the Lindros-Bedard thing. Because if you've had the opportunity to spend any time with Connor or talk to anyone who knows him, right? Like, this is a guy who, if Arizona had won the draft lottery, and let's be real, Arizona was always the team that, like, the Lindros conversation would have heated up if Arizona had won the draft lottery. We all know this. And yet, even that would have been for naught. Because if you have a sense of who Bedard is as a competitor, right? He would have been like, my mission in life now is to make hockey the most popular sport in the desert. You know, he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys. There's no challenge too big. He's not in it for himself. He's in it because he loves to play hockey and he loves to win. And whatever challenge you threw at him, he was just going to eat that challenge for breakfast. Like, that's who he is. He's, he's him. Like, he's, the, he's that guy. And by the way, I love that guy. Like, that's, that's what everyone wants. That's who Connor Bernard is. He's not wired to do something like that. That's just not who he is. He was going to take on whatever challenge was thrown in his path. Chicago, I'm going to rehabilitate one of the original six franchises, and I'm going to be the best player that I can be, and I'm going to work absolutely every day Full tilt to achieve it. That's who Connor Bedard is. There was just never any chance he was going to do a Lindros thing. Whoever won this draft lottery was getting Bedard. And once you get Bedard, you have a fully bought in, extraordinarily committed. Like, you know, Weeks put it this way on the broadcast tonight, and I thought he nailed it. He said, any GM picking Connor Bedard is going to be able to sleep soundly at night knowing they've invested their future in Connor Bedard. That's it. That's it. Like this is this is a Joe Burrow level competitor. Uh, well, and think about level when of composure. Think about when Connor McDavid or when the Oilers won the draft lottery and Connor McDavid was there on the broadcast. Remember that awkward moment? When well, and, he, and what happened next? What happened next? Bob Nicholson, right? GM yeah. change. Yeah. Right. Like they they sold out to upgrade their organization. They had to. Yeah, and certainly they're reaping the rewards of it right now. The game tied uh, at one, I think, as of about five minutes ago uh, against Vegas. Um, actually, sort of 2-1 for Vegas now uh, in the final minute of the first. 
But look, obviously a franchise changing type of player. Uh, I, I, you know, again, like, I mean, you, you follow Austin Matthews as closely as anybody and, and you don't balk at all when the suggestion is this guy is going to be better than Austin Matthews. He's that level or then some in terms of can't miss. No, no. I mean, I mean, here's, here's what the statistics say. Okay. There are three players since the year 2000 who scored 2.5 points per game or more in CHL competition as a 17-year-old. Number one, 2.7, Sidney Crosby. Number two, 2.58, Connor Bedard. Number three, Connor McDavid. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's pretty on. good company. That, that's, that's pretty good company. That's, and, that's just, and that's just by the numbers. That's without knowing what I know about Bedard, right? Like, this is a guy, Farhan, it's not just like, it's not just that Bedard is who he is. It's that like everyone he encounters has to level up to keep up with him. You know, like, and they all love him for it. They're not even mad about it because he just earns it. You know, it's not like he's a jerk about it. He's not entitled. He just like loves the game. He loves to work. He loves to watch, like, as a kid, he'd watch YouTube uh, videos of, like, players doing cool things in NHL games. He'd go out on the ice. He'd spend an endless amount of time at open ice at the North Shore Winter Club, just, like, fiddling around, be like, oh, I saw that cool Austin Matthews drag shot. Like, his whole shot, his whole shot, which we've never seen anything like it, is derived from him being like, wow, Austin Matthews, I'm going to see if I can, like, that's who he is. That's who he is. And so, like, Matthew Wood who's probably going to go in the top 15, one of the top scoring uh, players in the NCAA, also the youngest player in the NCAA, from Nanaimo, six foot five. okay? Matthew Wood spent his age 16 season billeting with the Bedard family in Lynn Valley while he attended the West Van Academy. And so him and Bedard became friends. In fact, they were friends before because they were spring hockey teammates and their families grew close. Uh, so they'd like go work out. They'd they'd go to West Van Academy, hit school, play a play together, and then they'd go home and they'd shoot pucks. They'd rip pucks all day. And now Matthew Wood is arriving in the NHL, and uh, or arriving at the NHL draft. And guess what? He's one of the three best finishers in the draft. And he talks about Bedard in like hallowed terms. You know, one of the hardest the guys the guy who has one of the highest work rates in the draft is Zach Benson. Why does Zach Benson have such a high work rate? Well, when he wanted to win playing winter hockey growing up in Vancouver, guess who he had to beat? <laughs> guess who he had to work out work every night? Like, it's Bedard. That changed his whole approach. It taught him how hard he had to work, how, how dogged he had to be in puck pursuit. He's the best four-checker in, in the WHL this season. He's the best player on a team that lost, like, nine games all year. Um, Andrew Crystal, same thing. Like, all of these guys talk about... Bedard and his impact and how it pushed them. And they're all going in the first round. Like this is a really special player, man. Just period. Yeah, you know, and just, just watching the way all. and watching the way he conducted himself at the World Juniors, oh. uh, like dominating the best. But when it all ended and he, you know, everybody asked him after every game about his ridiculous goal on any given night. And after they won, and the reporter asked him, you know, about his performance and he stopped and he says, No, I'm not going to talk about myself anymore. I'm not going to talk about myself. I want to talk about my teammates. This is a team thing. And, you know, you talk about how while he grinds everybody into the ground in a positive way, like everybody loves him for it. 
right? And that type of stuff also resonates with teammates that he's got a maturity about him right now. Well, and and you're you're the coach guy, and I'm just but I'm just telling you, like sometimes you cover athletes and they're enormously talented goofballs or they're savants or you know they're whatever, right? Um, And sometimes you cover athletes and they're Batman, (laughs) you know. And in terms of integrity, character, competitiveness, composure, like there's no Forget the numbers I threw at you. There's no intangible that you can throw on a player or that you can throw on Bedard uh, where he doesn't, where, where the real life impact doesn't exceed the like collective meaning we've ascribed to that word. Right? Like that's who he is. That's who he is. Anyway, I'm going to invite Rich let's, up to the Yeah, side. let's get Rich on. Sorry, Rich. I got distracted gushing about Bedard. Um, would you like to ask a question, my friend? Do we have Rich? Yes, you do. Hey, bud, how are you? Can you hear me? We can. Okay. I got a question. Uh, with all the Bedard focus, sorry, it's not really on Bedard. It's just on uh, with all the focus taken Fantilia just with McTavish oh, and Zegras and saying, hey, you know Rich. what? That's being overlooked. That what's that good? What that's going to do for Anaheim? Sorry, Rich. Sorry. Can I just ask you uh, to confirm? Did you ask about Anaheim getting Fantilli and how that accelerates their rebuilding effort? I just want to make sure because you cut out a little yeah, bit. During yes, the when yes, when you add that to Zegras and and uh, McTavish, and I think Canuck fans need to be concerned about that. Uh, I think you're right. Thanks, Rich. Um, so let me uh, let me add this context. I think the Canucks dodged a bullet with Anaheim not getting Bedard. Uh, you know. Not that Fantilli, and, and let me be real with you. I think there's a real chance that Leo Carlson or Will Smith end up throwing a curveball at the top of the draft order. I know Fantilli's been number two with a bullet, but um, read my piece in The Athletic tomorrow. There are scouts who really like Carlson, like who think Carlson's the guy. Ultimately, what it's going to come down to is if Anaheim thinks that Leo Carlson can play center, like if they view Carlson as a center, Long term in the NHL, he might be the pick. He really might. Wow! Be the pick. Like there, there is there is a real chance that we're going to see drama, suspense, curveballs after Bedard goes, and that's not a knock on Fantilli, who's like. Let, 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 here's the thing to know about Fantilli: it's not just that he's six two; it's not just that he's like NHL ready size wise, and it's not just that he had one of the most successful freshman seasons in Div One history. Okay, he's also the fastest skater in this draft, probably. Like, he's probably the best skater in this draft. He's an incredibly rugged, physical player. And yet, Leo Carlson is a six foot three, high end skill guy. And like, I've got scouts dropping Kopitar comps. I've got scouts telling me that they think it's closer between him and Bedard than people realize. Like, there are teams whose mileage on Leo Carlson runs all day long. So, First off, I'm not sure if Anaheim ends up taking Fantilli or Will Smith or Leo Carlson. We'll see how that unfolds. Um, we'll see what their particular view at the top of the draft is. But either way, they're adding an incredible player, a guy who would go first overall 40% of the draft classes uh, over the last 10 years. And um, yeah, their, their build is scary. And you know, you mentioned the NHL guys, so Troy Terry, McTavish, um, uh, Zegras and company 
But what's really scary to me about the Ducks is if you go across the CHL this year, the best defenseman in the WHL, like he won the WHL equivalent of the Norris Trophy, was Olin Zellweger, who's going to play next year. He's absolutely dominating. He's like well over point per game for the Kamloops Blazers. He's going to play in the Memorial Cup because they're the host team. You know, I'm told guy has like 6% body fat, lives at the rink. Um, just like one of those guys. Uh, I think he's a top four defenseman for the next decade. He's coming next year. Uh, Minchukov might be another year away, but he was the top defenseman. He won the top defenseman award in the OHL this past season. You know, six foot three, uh, drawing more at cider comparisons, although he's a lefty Russian born defenseman. Canucks were really high on him too last time out, but he obviously went before the Canucks picked at 15. And then in the queue, they have a kid named Tristan Leneau picked in the second round last year, right-handed. And guess what? He won the QMJHL Top Defenseman Award. So they have, they have the current top defenseman in all three CHL leagues, none of whom are on their roster yet. And that's Yeah, you talked about this last shit. off season. You talked about this last off season that, you know, for the I, Canucks. I, I thought they'd be who, better this year. Yeah, like you thought they were going to contend for a playoff spot this year just because of feeling their them, young talent had an opportunity to mature to them, that Buffalo level. Buffalo and this New year. Jersey. Them, Buffalo and New Jersey were my like young teams to watch out for. Yeah. Uh, two of three. I went two of three. <laughs> All right, let's but, get to Greg. But yeah, they're scary. Let's get to Greg in uh, in the in the stage on the stage. Greg, how are you? Greg. Hi there. Greg S. Greg Sansoni. How are you? Greg. Hey. Greg hey, I did the I did the headphones, but yeah, you're on my phone now. Anyway, uh, thanks for doing this. Much appreciated. Um, I fully expect our management to go for position over best player available. Uh, I'm reading that uh, behind Reinbacker, it's the Alex Axel Sandin fella. Do you think yep. that he's yep. the next pick for us, or do we try and go lower for a centerman? Thanks for your question, Greg. Uh, Axel Sandin, Palika, um, undersized power play defenseman. Like He's got a clear way to play. He's going to be a PP1 guy, uh, or at least that's what he's going to be drafted to be. Right-handed, Swedish, really good prospect. 11's a little too rich for him. And one thing that I sort of wonder about is, you know, how many 5'11 blue liners is, are like, are the Canucks going to be comfortable trying to ice, right? Like, you know, Sandy and Palika, you don't make a needs pick necessarily because he's two or three years away at least. But projecting two or three years down the line, like, do you really want Hughes... Sandine Palika and Hironic all on the same blue line. Can you win in the playoffs with that? Um, you know, I think that'll be sort of the question. Either way, I think the value is not there at 11. Like, I just don't think he has enough um, in terms of the roundedness of his game. Like, you know, the, look at the history of 5'10 and under blue liners who are picked right at the top of the draft. And you you get a lot of, like, Brandstrom, Bachvist, um, you get a lot of that that player type. And, like, you really have to be special. You really have to be Quinn Hughes to pay off uh, that sort of that sort of valuation, um, just in terms of player type. Like, uh, I'd, I'd compare it to Bryce Young, Farhan. <laughs> I just worry that they're a little too small. Bryce Young's going to be just fine, my friend. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, Rohan right. K, let's uh, let's get him on. We want to get through these. We want to get through all these calls before we wrap up. 
Absolutely. About, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Um, doing well. I have a question about, I guess, Abbotsford towards the last few months. Um, specifically, a couple of names kind of shot up, I guess, the way we see them going forward with Baines and Wu. Um, additionally, I guess I'm just curious about Hoaglander considering his contract situation. Like, do you have an idea of what his next contract is going to look like and how his eligibility or waiver eligibility may influence whether we keep him or if we deal him. And then also if you know, if Hiroshi is a guarantee to be on the roster next year. So yeah, I'm just kind of curious about how things have changed in the last three months in Abbotsford. Perfect. Love it. Um, so Rohan, I'm going to, I'm going to go indexed here. Number one, you wanted to know about Baines and, and Wu. Was there anyone else? Harmon called me during the question, so I missed a little bit of it, Farhan. Was there anyone other than Wu and uh, Baines? Well, you asked about Hoaglander, right, in the contract. Yeah, there. yeah, no, sorry, sorry. The, but those are the other notes. So let's start yeah. with Baines and Wu, two guys who really had, like, very promising seasons. Um, I really like Baines because he's the star pupil. Like, he really soaked up. All the, all the instructions and the lessons that they gave him, uh, work ethic off the charts. They asked him to do some things that I think hurt his production early in the year in terms of adjustments to his game, in terms of the off-ice work, um, you know, working out or skating hard and then playing that night, stuff like that, where, you know, they thought he needed it to be at his best late in the year, and then he was. Um, really smart player. And that's going to give him the sort of dimension where it's not like he has to be a top six guy to, to contribute. Like he could maybe be a really interesting fourth liner. Um, you know, there's enough skill there. There's enough strength there. Uh, really interesting, but not an NHL option, maybe a call up option down the, down the stretch next year, but that would sort of be um, like short term expectations for him trending really well, looking like a really interesting roll of the dice for the organization uh, as a CHL uh, undrafted free agent. Uh, Wu was probably not going to be qualified four or five months ago. Really rounded out his game. Uh, some chat field comparisons are being thrown around uh, internally. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think you're looking at like a relatively low upside, um, sort of like one read defensive defenseman, but that would be a but, big But he line. has taken a step. Yeah, like I, a big I, step. I no, think no, no, they were no. so close to writing him off in this organization oh, prior I, to this I, season. Prior to the season, prior to January, um, he's yeah. taking a huge step. I don't want to yeah, undersell sure. it, but but I also think what we're looking at here is a guy who still, if he puts it together, you're looking at you know uh, again one read, third pair defensive guy with some physical value. Still a huge find for the club, particularly if he's cost controlled. And kudos to him for for putting himself in a position where he's a no doubt. Uh, going to get a qualifying offer, and the organization's actually pretty excited with him, particularly given that he looked good on both the left and the right side for the Abbotsford Canucks in the playoffs. Um, Niels Hoaglander, what does his next contract look like? Two ways this can go. You either go a little bit longer on it. You go like two years at 1.3 to 1.5. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty typical structure for a guy with his level of production on his entry-level deal. The other way that this could go would be a one-year deal where you maybe even come in under the level of his qualifying offer, which is like 835K, something like that, or 875K, it's one of those two. Um, you know, maybe it's 800 rounded, but you guarantee him a one-way deal because uh, his qualifying offer could be two-way. Um, so those, those would be the two ways that I, I could see that going. You know, in a world where the Canucks had cap space, like 
Hoaglander for me is the perfect guy to bet long on um, because he hasn't quite hit, particularly after this season. But I, I think he's a no doubt NHL player. And I think he showed it in the American League playoffs when he was pretty consistently the best player on the ice, even in that series that they lost against Calgary uh, with guys like Zeri and Pelliche on the other side. Like Hoaglander was. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's one of the few things your organization has done correctly, right? I mean, in that, um, if. You know, he he was, I don't want to say force-fed, but he came up just because there was so many holes in the lineup that he was able to fill it, even if he wasn't necessarily ready right out of the gate. They had kind of made a decision before the year started they were going to have him spend time in, in Abbotsford this year. And in doing so, I mean, you know, they, they over-ripened him a little bit and they suppressed his value a little bit, right? I mean, if he spends the year in Vancouver, he's a $2.2 million player right out of the gate. Yeah. On the other hand, you also complicate the relationship with a guy. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I could see a one-way deal. Um, I, look, it's going to have to be a one-way deal based on how they handled him this year. Uh, and we'll see. I still sort of look at him too as a player who, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to try and sweeten a, a contract, like there's teams that would have a lot of, um, of regard for him as a trade chip. Uh, so, so we'll see, but you know, two ways that next contract looks, uh, one way deal at 800 K or, or a two year deal, uh, somewhere between 1.25 and 1.5 that, that those would be my expectations by a significant amount. Um, and then the third thing that he wanted to know about was Akito Hirose. Does he play in the NHL full time next year? Uh, I'm fading that. I'm going to say, I'm going to say he's going to sign a two year. I'd expect him to sign a two year deal one way. Uh, probably for in and around the league minimum, maybe 800K. Um, and I expect him to start the season in the American League. Uh, he looked good. He looked comfortable. Uh, he looked pro-ready, which you'd expect from an elite NCAA player who's 24, 25. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you watch like the AHL playoffs, right? And, and you watch Christian Wolanin. And it's like, man, that's tough competition. Like, it's really hard to earn a job in the NHL. Is he really going to be... Like, are the Canucks really, first of all, going to return Willannon, Hirose, Brisebois, Hughes, Ekman, Larson, uh, Hirose as like the six options on the left side? Or are they going to try and upgrade that spot? I'd expect them to at least try and bring in an additional body to upgrade that spot. So then you're talking about he's not going to beat out Ekman, Larson, and he's not going to beat out Hughes. So he's going to have to beat out all of Willannon, Brisebois, X. UFA and or like vet minimum guy who they're rolling the dice on uh, to earn a spot on the roster to start next season. Uh, that's tough. That's tough. I don't see that. Like I, yeah. I bet against it. I agree with you. I loved what I saw from him. And truthfully, I think when he gets into the lineup in December or whenever that is, he's not coming out. He's uh, going to be like Adam Foote's already fallen in love with him. And Again, you're right. They do. Ha they owe it to the organization to try to upgrade in their top four. Get Ekman Larson into a into a three, um, you know, a, a third pair role on the left side. But at some point, there's going to be an injury along the way, and he's going to get in. He's going to make it awfully difficult for them to move on from him. We'll see. I mean, the underlying uh, data. The underlying data from his cup of coffee was concerning. Um, I'm not. I'm not all the way there. I'm not sharing the market's uh, Akito Hirose excitement. Looks like a good find. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not, but um, you know, do expect him to be like a, a meaningful NHL contributor next season. I, I, that's a little rich for me. Um, all, right, all right, I'm gonna Brennan L. Up Brennan L. 
Brennan, how are you? Brennan, do we got you? Yes. Uh, can you hear me? We can. Nice. Okay. Um, so I just have a couple questions. Um, first of all, it doesn't seem like it, but is there any way of getting rid of OEL? Like if they are able to uh, send out the first round pick, uh, is that in any way feasible? And uh, is that a no brainer if they could uh, get rid of OEL by sending out the first round pick? And I also was just wondering what's happening with Ratu and Jack Rathbone. Like what is their status at? Um, that's it. Thanks, Brennan. Farhan, I don't see an OEL trade happening. Uh, yeah, I don't see it either. And I mean, wow, could you imagine the opportunity cost of having a package, the 11th overall pick to get rid of that contract, which never should have been brought here in the first place? Like just an organization that continues to spin its wheels if it goes in that direction. I don't see it. I, I truly don't. Even, um, even even then, I think you'd also have to take back bad money. Like it, yeah, wouldn't, you, be as, it wouldn't be as simple as OEL in the first and, yeah. and and you wipe your hands with it, like you'd probably be taking back, um, you know, either short term pain uh, uh, or a, a similarly inefficient contract. Like I, it's just too complicated. Um, Rathbone's waiver eligible next season. I I forgot to even mention him as one of the guys competing for a left side spot next year. Um, wow! <laughs> but he he requires waivers. Like he requires waivers, and there's a lot of teams. Like the Florida Panthers make a business of this, right? If you waive a somewhat high pedigree uh, puck moving defenseman before, like at the end of training camp, the Florida Panthers will claim it, right? Noah Juleson, um, uh, Gustav Forsling, Josh Mahura, like they, they, this is their business. Bill Zito does this. This is what he does. And he's not the only one. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes do this too, right? There's. There's a few teams that are like very much in the business of aggressively perusing the waiver wire and giving defenders out of chances elsewhere a shot with them. Um, I don't think Rathbone clears if he hits waivers, and I think he's going to be in tough to make the team. So, um, you know, that, that could be one, too, where the Canucks maybe find, like, maybe there's another, like, forward who requires waivers next season who's on the fringes of a roster, and the Canucks and that team, like, swap guys to get sort of, like, first dibs. Uh, first dibs is in terms of a look at one of those guys that uh, in a new situation in a new training camp. Maybe that's how it goes. But yeah, Rathbone's time with the organization could be up in the event that he's you know doesn't break camp with the team next season, and and that might be a consideration. That's a storyline we'll watch in the off season. And then the other guy was um, Atu Ratu. Ratu's got a ton of development time here. Like he's Danila Klimovich's age. Um, the skating is. Uh, going to need some work, going to need some time. We'll see where it goes. But uh, he had his moments in the American League playoffs. I thought this was a pretty promising season for him. For me, he's the organization's top prospect. Like, I'd, I'd pick him over LeCaramacchi for the pole position, as the Athletic did when we did our prospect rankings about a month ago. Um, but he's got time. Uh, you know, if he comes into camp and, and has gained a step and a half in the offseason, great. That's fantastic. But I, I, you're not counting on it. I think you're no. hoping that he's uh, a call-up option for you next year and, and makes it hard to send him down. That, that's kind of what, where I think you have to be at with, with Ratu. Um, Sean V has a follow-up. Should we allow it? Yeah, last one. All right, last question goes to Sean V. 
provided that he gets up on the stage, which 50-50. All right, Sean V did not get up on the stage. Sorry about that. Um, so. Can you hear me? Oh, we can, oh, yes. We can. Last Sean, question, Sean. It, it, yeah, when, it, when it's on my phone and headphones, it switches. I, I don't know what happens. So I got, I got a Bring question hammers. for both of you. Uh, for Farhan, uh, is there any update on the SFU situation? Because I think that needs more media attention. And then for Drance, uh, what's more likely, an OEL buyout or JT Miller traded? And if it's Miller being traded, what's your likely or what's your preferred um, um, uh, what's your preferred package back? We'll start with you, Drance. We'll no, no, do the SFU thing, and then we'll end it with uh, with Miller. Uh, well, uh, the SFU thing, we're waiting for, for the judge to make a ruling on our injunction, which was heard in court last Monday, uh, but still a lot going on on our end. In fact, I'm about to get on a meeting after this podcast with uh, our working group because, um, you know, regardless of what happens with that injunction, there's still a lot of fight and a lot of strategy and a lot of levers that we can still pull because we're not going to let this thing go away quietly. The university's made a ridiculous, unjust decision with really bad process. And, um, yeah, disappointed that it's my alma mater behaving this way, and we're going to keep fighting it. But, uh, you know, kids are waiting, kids are training, some kids are getting nervous looking at other options, but the majority of them still want to see this through, and, and hopefully we can give them the right result. You know, we're we're fighting because we, we show, we you know, we want those kids that when they compete, uh, they've got a battle, and we've got to do the same thing on their behalf. JT Miller, uh, I or sorry, it was JT. What's more likely, JT Miller OEL or OEL JT buyout? Miller. I mean, it's Miller, yeah. right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a much simpler move. The, the asset has value. Uh, you know, they they wouldn't have to give a sweetener given how we finished the season. In my opinion, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but nope. there's a trade there's a trade there to be had. As we saw near the deadline, it wasn't that far away from happening. Um, so, uh, no. yeah, like, I, I think it's, do I think, tra- do I think JT Miller is going to get traded? No, but to the caller's question, do, do not? more likely than OEL. No, I still not? don't think he get, I still don't think he gets moved. I think it's going to be hard enough for this organization to add a third line center, let alone trying to add a second line center. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with that. I think, look, I think. I'm not saying they, they shouldn't. Motiv- they were motivated enough to do it that it got to the precipice clearly at the deadline. Um, that, that feels like what, a you bit mean, of a tell. You, you, you mean you don't believe, uh, Patrick Alvin that he only took a call from Carolina the morning of the trade deadline? Does anyone believe that? <laughs> well, there are some really weird people on Connect Twitter that actually do, but hey, here we are. So anyway, the, um, yeah, okay. So, I mean, Miller's the more likely one. What's my ideal return? I wouldn't care so long as you get full cap space. Like, so long as you take only futures back, I think it's um, a pretty much a good trade. But they um, won't do that. They won't do no, that. No, no, no. They, they, they're going to require a center back, right? Like, yes, or 100%. they're going to require an asset that they can use to buy another center. Um, which, good luck. Like, good luck. So I think that's the reason the trade probably wouldn't happen. Even it didn't I, happen, right? Because they no, were trying no, no. To I don't, I don't player, believe right? that. So, I don't believe that. That I don't believe. But the... I, I do think that's the reason it, it probably won't happen uh, this deadline, in addition to the fact that I do think Rick Tockett genuinely loves the player. There you go. Uh, so, so both of us okay. are of the opinion that JT Miller is going to be back for one reason or another. Yep, I, I'd say I'd say more likely than not, but less likely than an OEL buyout. Um, okay, well, hey, that was fun.
Yeah. Nice to chat with you again, Farhan. It's been too long, my friend. It has. Um, I think the last time we talked was the NFL draft, I think, when, uh, yep. when you were telling me Bryce Young shouldn't have been picked first overall. He shouldn't have. C.J. Stroud. Well, I, I like both of them, so I'm not, I'm not going to quibble. And, and you don't like Anthony Richardson, who's going to be the best of the group? You know no, what? I, listen, I, I think don't Stroud, cheer for, I think I don't Stroud cheer for, is. I don't cheer for talent to fail. So let's yeah, be no, clear about that. That's not my, that's not my gem. I would love to be wrong on Anthony Richardson. I he's just think that it, there are, there are so many holes. It's going to take so long. And I think he's going to get force fed too soon, but you know what? So much talent. I don't want to look back and say, what a waste. What a shame. Uh, I, I hope he does well. I hope he lives up to his talent. I'm just excited that we have an elite running quarterback in a dome. It's the only thing I've ever wanted. And for some reason between Hertz fields, like all of the great running quarterbacks that are in the NFL right now, we just don't have any of them that play their home games in a dome. It feels like a massive, a uh, Lamar feels like a massive wasted opportunity. I'm so excited to see an elite running quarterback. Well, at least a, an elite runner as quarterback in a dome uh, this season. It's going to be a ton of fun. All right, bud. Listen, uh, this was good. This was good. Canucks pick 11. Harm and I will be back on Wednesday for our regular edition of the VanCast this week. We're going to go Wednesday, Monday the following week, Wednesday, and then Monday the following week. And uh, we'll give you lots of Canuck talk, NHL playoff talk, prospect talk, all of it. Uh, what's the score before we go here? But, uh, what do we got? It was 2-1, and it is... Uh, what do we got here? It is uh, still 2-1 um, with about 16 minutes to go in the second, and I am looking forward to watching... Warriors and Lakers later tonight, my friend. Likewise. Be well. Cheers. Thanks, everybody, for listening and logging on. We'll talk to you.